is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, September 8, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Taylor and Sarah are working back in Connecticut. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Uh, the big series in baseball this weekend, the Seattle Mariners playing against the Tampa Bay Rays in Tampa Bay. Of course, these are two teams vying for playoff spots in the American League. Right now, they would be the four and five seeds in the American League playoffs uh, uh, bracket, and that would mean they would play each other in the first round. So this potentially could be a preview series. Luis Castillo was on the mound for the Mariners. Mike Ford gave Seattle the lead in the top of the second. Green jerseys, gray pants, pitch on the way, swinging a shot off the side of the mound into center field for a base hit. Mike Ford with an RBI single. Here comes Suarez on to score easily from third, and the Mariners have a 1-0 lead. Uh, that from Seattle Sports, 7-10 a.m. Castillo carried that 1-0 lead into the bottom of the sixth inning, and this happened. Swinging a soft fly ball down the left field line. It's pulled foul. Canzone is racing over into foul territory. He makes the catch. He tumbles waist high over the wall into a table, and he makes the catch. Dom Canzone flashes the no-fly zone in left field. Yeah, an amazing catch, Taylor. Uh, pretty, I mean, it's very Jeter-esque, wouldn't you agree, when he's going full speed into the into the barrier there and going into the stance. Let's let him be his own man buster. Let's not invoke Derek Jeter this early on in the podcast, please. Come on. <laughs> Come on, you. No, it was an amazing catch. Right. It, was, it was awesome. He was all folded up in there. It was, it was fun. It was a great catch. All right, what's the post-game sound we have from the Mariners? You can tee it up. We've got uh, Scott Service in the post-game interview. Very, very lively. Let's listen to him. I always said you got to hit the win on the road, you know? So uh, <laughs> uh, you do, unless you got great pitching. And uh, our guys stepped up tonight. Um, wow. Uh, I was a little nervous there early. A lot of pitches put up on Castillo. Uh, the at-bats, it was not easy. The first couple innings seemed like they had traffic. Uh, then he... Luckily uh, for us, worked through the fifth and sixth pretty efficiently. So fortunate to get six innings out of him. I thought Isaiah Campbell, awesome. Matt Brash had a great inning, and nice to see Mooney get through that. But uh, big outs, throwing the guy out. You know, from a catcher, old catcher like I am, you know, game-winning home run, throw guy out in the ninth inning, it's right there. I mean, those are big plays. It's really hard to do. People don't know how hard that is. So at the moment, the Mariners are in position to make the American League playoffs. On the other hand, for the Texas Rangers, the hits just keep on coming. Adolis Garcia, all-star and the ALRBI leader, was placed in the injured list with a right patellar tendon strain. Uh, Rangers general manager Chris Young says he hopes Garcia returns before the end of the season but didn't provide an exact timeline. Garcia leads the American League with 100 RBI through Wednesday's games. He's batting 245 with 34 home runs. The Dodgers face the Marlins in need of a victory, and Chris Taylor provided the coup de gras. Taylor whacks one to deep center field. This ball headed back toward the wall. It is gone. A home run for Taylor, a three-run shot. CT for three. And the Dodgers now lead it 10-0. Tim Nevert with that call, AM570 LA Sports. That was the final score. So a great day for the Dodgers, right? Well, not quite. Mookie Betts left the ballpark on crutches after fouling a ball uh, off his foot. Uh, X-rays reportedly were negative. We're going to get more information about this later today. Betts, of course, locked into this epic MVP race against Ronald Acuna Jr. 
this news about uh, Dodgers pitchers Julio Urias broke. He was arrested after someone saw a physical altercation between a man and a woman outside an MLS stadium and contacted police. That, according to the arrest report that was released on Thursday, reportedly somebody had videotape of this or caught the uh, incident on their cell phone and that information, that uh, video has been forwarded to the authorities. The Diamondbacks and the Cubs uh, in Wrigley Field last night, Tommy Pham came to the plate with a runner on base in Arizona leading three to one. This is the first one to Pham is swung on hit deep to right center, going back Talkman, and that one is on its way, and there she goes. Second home run of the night for Pham. That's his 15th, and the big time insurance runs finally come in the top of the eighth. It's 5 1. That final score would be 6-2, that sound from Arizona Sports, 98.7 FM. By the way, on the 17th of September, we've got the Diamondbacks and the Cubs playing in Arizona on Sunday Night Baseball. The Tigers, the Yankees, in Yankee Stadium. The Yankees, of course, have been red hot. But Carlos Rodon was on the mound for the Yankees on Thursday night, and he got pounded. Fly ball down the left field line off the bat of Torkelson, hooking by the foul pole. Another two-homer game for Spencer Tarkelson. 94-mile-an-hour fastball in the middle of the plate, and he did not miss. 27th home run of the year. Tigers having some fun in New York. It's an 8-1 lead here in the fourth. And from 97.1, the ticket. The Tigers win that game 10-3. Carlos Rodon, with that ugly performance, slows the Yankees down. He spoke with the reporters after the game. Carlos, why do you think the stuff just wasn't there tonight? Um... Yeah, just yeah, stuff was a little down, just uh, a little, little all over the place, and they barreled a lot of balls, and just got my ass whooped. So that's pretty much it. Describe the the frustration. I mean, you had three starts prior to this that you were really moving in the right direction. Yeah, you know, we uh, we're on a little roll there with five straight wins, and uh, you know, just trying to put the next one up, and showed up and kind of pissed the bed, and it was not good. Ooh. Not happy with himself, that's for sure. Braves Cardinals playing last night. Adam Wainwright, Georgia native, pitching against the Braves for the last time in the bottom of the first inning. The first hitter to the plate for the Braves, Ronald Acuna Jr. First pitch to Acuna, drilled out towards deep center field, back to the wall, out of the ballpark. What a missile! Ronald Acuna doing damage. And it's a home run on the first pitch that he sees. one nothing Braves. That from 680, the fan and Acuna was not done. Acuna hits one well to deep center field. Edmund going to go back. Edmund to the wall. That's gone. La Bestia. The beast with his second home run of the ball game. For Acuna, it's home run number 34 on the year. Matt Olson also homered, his 47th homer of the season. The Braves win this game 8-5. to five. Uh, Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we're looking down at a college football Saturday. The College Game Day podcast has you set with uh, picking. They're picking 10 games this week. That's Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, and Stanford Steve. Loaded slate. A lot of fun. You can listen to that on your favorite podcasting application or watch it on YouTube. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority. 
especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All aboard. It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravage. On Baseball Tonight. Carl Ravage, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball on just about every Sunday, but not this one because the Ravi train will not be making the journey to the West Coast for a very good reason, Ravi. Yeah, we have a wedding to go to. Our uh, One of our bosses, uh, Norby Williamson's eldest daughter, is getting married. So I've known Katie for her whole life, basically. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to going to that wedding and celebrating with the uh, whole family and several other uh, longtime members of ESPN many of whom are still there, some of whom are not. And uh, it'll be a nice weekend. It really is uh, something I'm looking forward to. It's their first uh, child of four to get married, so it should be a great celebration. Yeah, and meanwhile, uh, Sunday Night Baseball this weekend, we've got the Rockies playing against the Giants. The Giants trying to hang on to playoff relevance, uh, you know, after a tough series in Chicago. So it'll be interesting to see where they're at mentally. It'll be interesting to to take a look at some of the uh, Rockies players, including some outfielders who throw the hell hell out of the ball in our (laughs) prep call yesterday that uh, we talked a lot about that. So it'll be a a fun broadcast, Carl, but we're going to miss you. Uh, I will say I'm sure that if you're going to miss a game, that uh, missing a West Coast game as someone who's living on the East Coast is not something that's necessarily going to break your heart. Because it does feel like this summer's schedule has been catered to me. <laughs> I will say this. You know, we, we've been accused of having an East Coast bias. Uh, there's a lot of people who will joke that the E and ESPN is for East. Uh, I think we should rename it from a baseball perspective, WSPN. We have been on the West Coast seemingly 28 of the 31 weeks. Um, and look, <laughs> uh, let's, give, let's give credit to our baseball the programmers to some degree you have cubs diamondbacks which is a you know a big series and then it's dodgers and giants uh, always a great one to to end the season but boy uh, the the idea that people are saying well you're you're, you're getting a lot of miles i'm good I, i'm i'm comfortable with the miles i have i don't need to keep adding to them but the west coast has been where the better races have been you know the nl wild card race has been great and the giants to your point have been in it 
The only part about the Giants, Buster, that I, I you know, I, I think we've become accustomed to with Gabe, um, whether the 107 was an aberrational season, the one thing they do is they tend to show up. Like they, they play. Uh, so the idea that they're kind of down and out and, and done, uh, that's the one thing about this team. And the way they've they've operated under Gabe, like I I don't I don't buy it. They're they're all those adjectives you use when you don't have the superstar player, you know, feisty, fiery, you know, grinders. So I I I wouldn't just count out the San Francisco Giants from the race just yet. Yeah, and before we uh, move forward, and I've got some uh, questions for you about uh, your leaders currently in the MVP races and the Cy Young Award races. We have this great series going on, going on between the Rays and Mariners. I want to look back to last Sunday's game. We had the Astros and the Yankees, and it's amazing how quickly, Carl, the Yankees have changed the perception of their season. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've been reading columns where people were basically saying, hey, this uh, – you know, the, this finish will tell you that, in fact, the front office has been doing good things behind the scenes because you've got Jason Dominguez and you have Austin Wells and you have other young players, you know, uh, stepping up at the end of the year. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if it's going to change what Hal Steinbrenner thinks when he makes uh, choices. But, man, their season going to look a lot different if they wind up finishing in fourth place ahead of the mm -hmm. Red Sox. And, by the way, yeah. those two teams are going to meet next week. Rather than say, uh, you know, finishing 10 games under 500 with their first losing season since 1992, they did feel different. Oh my gosh, uh, 180 degree difference. No, they absolutely did. They, they, they felt different because they looked different. You know, they, they got younger in a sense overnight. Um, we were there, we saw Dominguez, you know, hit a homer against the Astros. Um, they, there are about five of those young kids. And, you know, the way this works, let's say three of them pan out and become everyday starters next year. That was just, that's a significant literal change. They also made some adjustments in their rotation. Clark Schmidt's been really good. Uh, Michael King is now a starter. And every step he takes towards that, it, it certainly, at least in the short term, makes you feel a lot differently about their pitching, which has been a big question, and certainly moving into next year. So uh, to me, they've, uh, they've changed radically. And I was listening to, uh, you know, Steve Phillips yesterday on MLB Network Radio and others. This idea that they're they're still alive in this race. He he was you know he was very adamant about well no they're not. And I heard others on the network say no they're really not. And what happens is in a game like last night where it feels like it's a game you should win and Rodon's on the mound and you kind of get pounded. You you realize it's not a question of. They have to win as many games as they can. Other teams have to lose. That combination just becomes very, very difficult. That being said, there is an entirely different perception. I saw Aaron Judge come out yesterday and say, Aaron Boone is the guy. I want him back. You're going to make a commitment like you've done to Aaron Judge. His words carry a lot of weight. Yes. You, you tell me, Buster, who, who are you taking, Aaron Judge? Or the outside, uh, you know, the Talk outside radio world that are going to come in. <laughs> well, even that, or even the people that you know, Hal had suggested we're we're going to do a full, uh, you know, over overview of of our organization. Is it Aaron Judge or a third party doing the full overview? It's Aaron Judge. Yeah, I I agree with you um, that uh, that that you know, Aaron's words are going to carry a lot of weight. I remember Hal Steinbrenner speaking with reporters in spring training. And he talked about how he'll speak to players on the team and a particular judge to get their feedback on, 
you know, players like Anthony Volpe, uh, for example. I remember him very being very specific in March saying, you know, Aaron Judge says this kid has the presence and he can handle shortstop, so he's going to buy into what he says. I do feel like, in a weird sort of way, that this, uh, you know, this race between the Yankees and Red Sox uh, for fourth place is actually going to have some relevance in what we see in the offseason. Like, I think it's yeah. going to shape the perception of how, you know, the year played out for these two teams. I think that Alex Cora has, again, distinguished himself as a guy that can get the most out of out of the least. And I don't mean that like they have less talent than the Royals and other teams. I just mean when you think about the contenders this year, Gabe Kapler is, is a similar situation. They, they just don't have they don't have the star power. They don't have the depth. They don't have the pitching that these that these top tier teams do. And yet they were in the race for a significant amount of time. I, the Giants, to me, are still very much in a race. Um, but it, it should it, look. It should serve as a reminder, at least in Boston, that with a couple of of significant additions, uh, with the development of a guy like Casas, Casas and Duran, like you're close. So when you're close operate like a major market team that's close go make some moves the yankees are darn close you know and i and i know i said this during uh, either our, on our meeting or during our games you know it, the, there's such a fine line between where the yankees are and say where where the rays are because you can see like there are a lot of teams you can see if things went right they, they're going to be in in contention and the yankees were one of those teams they lost Judge for a long time. Radon was hurt and didn't really work out. But Cole's been outstanding. They they got younger. They needed to do that. They probably waited too long to do that. But boy, there are so many good ingredients there that again, give me an off season and give me a full season of healthy Aaron Judge. Uh, give me a full season of Jason Dominguez. Give me a full season of Wells, as you said on our podcast last week. Just give me some some more left-handed thump, and they have some of that now with those guys. We're in a really good spot. You know, they lost Rizzo. This team is built to win, and it wasn't like it was built badly. Everything went wrong for them, but now that they've made these changes, you can see the future is pretty darn bright. You know, Cole's – I know we're transitioning, but Cole's a – a guy that's going to win the Cy Young this year. And and that's what you want out of that guy. You look at what Scherzer and Verlander did the other day against each other. Max Scherzer is on the on the tail end of a of a Hall of Fame career. Verlander's still solid. Cole's better than both of them. Like that we're building around that guy. We're in great shape. So, yeah, it's a huge series for their futures um and also for the future of the American League East. Like what will 24 look like? You know, are the Rays still the team to beat? Have the Blue Jays made enough moves? Or are we going to go back to the Yankees and the Red Sox? And are the Orioles now now the Atlanta Braves of the American League for the next five years? Right. So it's a it's an interesting division. It's an interesting league for sure. Yeah. Toronto now in playoff position as well. Yeah. You know, they uh their pitching potentially could be a factor in the postseason. Uh, you mentioned Garrett Cole. Is uh, you know, it looks like he's going to win the American League Cy Young Award. I would co-sign on that. It feels like that there's a gap between him and the others in that competition. Yes, I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think the National League is a little closer than the than the American League. I think Cole has separated himself for sure, and and I won't jump to the MVP, but I think the way that he has 
he has sort of in the middle of this storm that's been going on around the Yankees been like as consistent a starter as you can find. And look, that's, that's great. You can block out all the other noise. You want the, you want the ace to go out there and put his team in a position to win every time. And Cole has done that. And Cole had some down, you know, he had some down games last year where you're like, is this like, is he going to be, is he coming back? Can he be that guy? And look, he, he has shown on and, as you know, off the field, he yep. is a leader. He's a leader in that clubhouse. He's a leader on the mound. He is a critical guy and worth the money that they invested in him. I think he's the, I think he's the Cy Young clear favorite in the American League. Yeah, Stanton has gotten a lot of credit. John Carlos Stanton has gotten, gotten a lot of credit, and I think rightly so, for how he's handled the situation in New York. He's gotten booed. He's never run. He's never hid. He's owned up to everything. He's answered every question. Garrett Cole's been the same way. Like, he mm-hmm. has totally embraced all that comes with New York, the good and the bad. Uh, you know, the criticism when he hasn't pitched well in big games. And so, yeah, I agree with you. He's the front runner. National League, Cy Young, is very interesting because you've got Justin Steele, the Cubs, having yeah, his breakout yeah, season. Great. He's in the top three. Blake Snell, I think you can make a strong case for. The the, the uh, Padres left-hander who leads the league in ERA. And then there's Spencer Strider, who I think you would agree with me. He's easily the most dominant starter in the National League, but his ERA is a run higher than, you know, than, uh, than Steele and than Snell. Um, Strider is going to wind up putting – potentially with 300 strikeouts this year, but he has had games where he's gotten lit up when he's been bad. Yeah. He's been really bad, which sort of skews his numbers. And on the other hand, I think if you were to, you know, pull general managers in the National League and say, which starter would you like in the National League? He might be the first guy taken. How do you view that race? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one because, again, the, the people that vote on this oftentimes uh, correctly, I think, fall on the sword of numbers and the sword of numbers will probably point to Blake Snell. Um, if you were to eliminate some of the numbers, but not all of them, you can certainly make the case. And then the emotional side of, well, have you seen what Justin Steele has done and where the Cubs have kind of come from in Snell's case, we all expected the Padres to win the West. That that's obviously didn't happen, but it's certainly not because of what Snell did. Um, in Steele's case, he, along with other guys on that team, whether it's Morell coming off the bench to hit homers, uh, David Ross's managing ability. I mean, boy, does anybody does anybody look better as a manager than David Ross does this year? Uh, there were a lot of questions about Rossi as a manager and being a first-time manager and how he's going to handle it. I, I think he's put himself in a in a position to to win the manager of the year award in that in that league and also have a really strong and long future in Chicago. Um, Kodai Senga has been really good for a terribly disappointing Mets team. Uh, we, we saw Strider. When, when he's right, he, he's the best. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I, I fall back on the impact on your team, which you can't necessarily quantify in some of those XFIP numbers and, and those types of things. Because what's, what Steele has done is – he has he's lifted the organization. He's been a guy that continuously goes out and performs at a high level. He rests a bullpen. If you look around baseball now, yep. a lot of these teams have bullpens that are taxed. The Texas Rangers bullpen is dead because they're not dead. getting innings from their starters. And Steele gives his team innings. So there's like an unquantifiable, even though somebody 
who votes may say he he pitches he gives you six and two thirds whatever that number is in the end and that helps a bullpen that's like really important for a team that's trying to and i i will go back to how is the team doing and i know it's an individual award um but i do think that there is an impact that you have that sometimes uh, is not necessarily counted the same way some of those other statistics are and you know that's why i i would I would certainly still think this is a wide open race. And Justin Steele is that horse that's closing down the backstretch and has a chance to pass Blake. So just an aside, how the hell is it that the San Diego Padres lead the National League in ERA as a team and they're 20 games out of first place? With the names that that they have on offense, it makes no sense. I mean, with with four potential Hall of Famers offensively that – have been unable to get the job done. It it doesn't make any sense, Buster. It makes no sense at all. Um, that whole thing doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I remember when we were sat in Bob Melvin's office uh, two years ago, right? And we talked about analytics and in his kind of reference to, well, it's all baked in. Well, this 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 particular year for the Padres was you you put the turkey in the oven on Thanksgiving and you you try to you try to bake the bake the turkey. And you take it out, and like you can't understand it. It's like Christmas vacation. Is you you cut it open, and poof, there's nothing there. It doesn't make any sense. It didn't gel, um, and and maybe it just speaks to the fact that that chemistry, the unquantifiable aspect of a major league team, uh, is is significant because just having the names and the players and the backs of the baseball card doesn't always work. No, and I think you'd agree with me. I heard enough backstories that uh, before the 2024 season, Padres have to get on the same page. I mean, they're just, it feel they're just so many, they're pulled in so many different directions. They're disagreements. You know, this guy doesn't like this guy. This They got to get on the same page for next year. I mean, this year was a total disaster, uh, you know, not only relative uh, of expectations and performance, but I think oh, the the fact that they couldn't figure it out over the six months, is extraordinary. They have to get on the same page for next year. National League MVP in your eyes right now. We, of course, you know, we had the, going into last weekend, uh, Mookie Betts was considered to be the favorite in the National League. Ronald Acuna Jr. goes into L.A., just puts on a show. You got yep. Freddie Freeman in that race. Matt Olson has uh, gone back to hitting yes. home runs for the Braves. Who, are, who would you right now, top four National League MVP? Yeah, and down the stretch they come. Uh, right. I think Acuna and Betts have separated themselves. Um, I've always wondered, and I know during our telecasts when we we had Atlanta, asking Coney, Eduardo, and you, like, wh- wh- why is Matt Olson not being considered? And then you kind of get into the defensive metrics, et cetera. But there was a time Matt Olson was by far the best home run hitter in baseball. Um, he, he, you know, with all due respect to the other guys putting up the numbers, show hey, it's like Matt Olson was the guy in Atlanta for a long time. And I don't know if I'm I'm still, you know, stuck on his his transition into the Atlanta Braves first base position, replacing an absolute legend in Freeman who's out on the West Coast doing Matt Olson type things, especially when it comes to just getting on base and hitting doubles. Um, I, I, I think Acuna, to me, is still the guy that I would put slightly ahead of Mookie. I do think that the base stealing in this in this new rule era uh, is a critical thing. And, and maybe it's in the postseason. And let's not forget when the Dodgers won the world series, what was the difference? What was one of the significant differences for LA success 
it was Mookie Betts base running, you know, the yep. secondary lead uh, and all the things that Mookie Betts did. Acuna does all of those things. And I, Mookie doesn't run now. Well, it'd be interesting in the postseason if, if, if he starts to do a little bit more of that, like in a sense, I don't need to do it. We're way ahead. We're going to win our division, but, but just wait. I got that in my back pocket because Mookie's Mookie's got a lot of back pockets. I think he's got a lot of things that he can do that sometimes, you know, when he doesn't need to, I'm not going to do him now, but I have Acuna slightly ahead. I think it's an historical season. I think his story is incredible coming back from the, the terrible injury. The Braves have been the best team. Um, so I, I, it, it's slight, and I, I'm not going to look at the series in L.A. where where he hit homers and Mookie Betts was like, ooh, wow. You know, you could read the lips and that stuff. I, I think Acuna's in a di- – I, I just think he's had a, a different season, and I would probably put him ahead of Mookie right now, but very close. And credit to Mookie because for a while it was over. It was Ronald Acuna's MVP. That was it. And all of a sudden it's, it's not that way, and Mookie's war is even higher if you're going to just, just die on the hill of war. Well, and it, what's interesting is Betts is leading Acuna significantly in wins above replacement, 7.9. Yeah. Acuna is at 6.8. Uh, if some writers fall back on that, then Betts is going to be the guy who wins. You mentioned the numbers, you know, the runs. Uh, I mean, think about some of the numbers being put up by these MVP candidates. Ronald Acuna Jr., 125 runs, 88 RBI as we come down the stretch. Mookie needs one more RBI for 100. He's got 118 runs. Freddie Freeman, 112 runs, 91 RBI. Matt Olson, Carl, 109 runs, 116 RBI. <laughs> so I know, you know, when we were around the Braves a couple of weeks ago in San Francisco, the players were telling me that no one talks about numbers on in that group except for one, and that is Matt Olson getting to 50 home runs, and it looks like that's going to happen. And it yeah. looks like he's going to wind up being the uh, – the major league leader in home runs at the end of the year because Shohei Otani's been on the shelf, but he's still in your eyes the front runner for American League MVP. Yes, yeah, yes. There's, I don't, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any doubt. You know, the the war is what twice, twice anybody else's. Right, he's still exactly. Sitting, he's still not sitting there at ten. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not going to get hung up on the fact that he's not playing now. Look, there's, there's, there's nobody that, there's nobody that does what he does. Uh, in the history of baseball, and he was doing it at a at a higher level than he's done it before. And he's won, you know, he's won MVP. So I, I just don't. I just think sometimes we try to figure out disqualifiers when it comes to Otani, and this is separate from from a teammate. This is separate from the contractual demands. This is separate from the Angels screwing up the entire trade deadline. There, there's still nobody like him there's no one who was able to do both things at that level and and even close so i think if you just parse it out it's it's not even a it's not a conversation um we we keep trying to find ways to make it a conversation we keep trying to give credit to other guys judge broke a record therefore we're, we're going there you know and and he wasn't he probably wasn't as valuable but he had that year um, so uh, look, he's the, he's the MVP in the American league. It's to me, that's not even a conversation. Yeah. I always go back to, and I've told the story in the podcast before about how Eduardo has gone in over the last six weeks, gone into, yeah. you know, manager meetings and asked the managers, Hey, if you could take one player in the big leagues, who would you take? And, and I remember Dusty Baker kind of looking at him with the, like, it's yeah, yeah. it's Otani, like, because right. Otani generates so much production. I would say this, Carl. 
Uh, if, you know, if Shohei Otani ever asked me uh, for my opinion and why would he ever do that, uh, I would tell him. I mentioned the San Diego Padres before they go into 2024. They need to get on the same page. Shohei Otani needs to do a better job being on the same page with the folks around him, whatever organization he lands with in 2024. Uh, I think his quality of life will be better. I think he'll enjoy it a lot better. And this conversation that's been burbling toward the end of the year and been borne out by the fact that the Angels keep on getting asked by reporters, hey, what's happening with Otani? What's his elbow situation? What's he going to do surgery-wise? And the Angels are like, we don't know. Like, it's all being run by Otani's camp, which is totally fair. But there's been so little communication, it feels like, there. Uh, that needs to get better going forward. And it can't just be, Otani says he's going to pitch on these days and his future employer, you know, he just informs them there has to be more collaboration than I feel like there's been with the angels. Uh, no doubt about that. Before you go, I, I want to ask you about, uh, you know, this weekend series Mariners in Tampa Bay, you know, you and I have talked about the possibility of a, a Cubs and Philly series, which would be phenomenal. We also might have a Mariners and Rays series, which would also be phenomenal. Luis Castillo, Tyler oh. Glasnow, you know, these exactly. are guys who are big, uh, big stage guys. That would be a fun series. And there's no doubt. I mean, that, and that was that's been the best part of this. Glasnow reminded everybody, and I, I'm a, I'm a huge Glasnow fan. Yep. When he's right, he to me, when he's right, he is the best pitcher in baseball. He does things with the baseball, his size, um, his presence. Uh, you know, when his curveball was working the other day, like forget it. Like that game is over. He doesn't lose that game. And, you know, his injury this year really, you know, really set them back. But the fact that he's going to be out there in game one, uh, they're going to win that game very likely. And then you had Castillo yesterday, who was unbelievable. The Mariners have, have kind of regained their footing. And, who, again, because the way the Astros are playing, they may not win the division. Uh, but, boy, that's a, that's a heck of a team. Their bullpen is strong. I think they used, what, three or four guys the other day. They, they can go pretty deep in their – in their bullpen, Julio carried him for a while. Like if Julio had had been this way the entire year, he's the MVP in the American League. But or at least he's he's the guy behind Shohei. Um, yeah, that's a that's a really good, interesting series. I tell you, a guy that doesn't at least I don't think nationally, and I'm sure the Mariners will tell you. Well, this this is something you can say about our entire team. But Scott Service, I don't think gets the credit that he deserves as a manager. And, you know, you talk about clubhouse and chemistry and all that stuff. You know, when they came East, he had, uh, he had a member of the run DMC group uh, phone yeah. in, zoom in with them. And he's all dressed up and he's got his bling on and his hat. I know Julio had bought the entire team, Adidas outfits. Uh, th those are the types of things that make a significant difference. Um, and I don't think he necessarily gets the credit that, that he deserves in that, in that way. So I just wanted to kind of give, give a nod to service and what he does. It's a tight knit clubhouse. You, you know, we've, we've spent some time on this podcast talking about the Padres having to get it together. Otani have to, having to kind of immerse himself the way that Aaron judge does with his team as a leader, both on and off the field. The, the Mariners have that. The Cubs have that stuff. So yep. yeah. Any, any Mariners raise series, Kevin cash does the same thing year in year out. Alex Cora year in, year out that, that is uh, you know maybe that's the that's the theme of this one for me is uh you know chemistry may suck as a seventh grader 
But when you get into your professional environment and you're in a clubhouse, it's the most important ingredient there can be. Dusty helps with the chemistry. Those things matter. Have you seen the movie Oppenheimer yet? I have not. I, I, it's funny because uh, my wife, Chris, just said that so-and-so, we have two friends, uh, just saw Oppenheimer. Unbelievable. They said it was incredible. And I, I keep hearing about it. We're going to see it. I, I do hear that it's amazing. Okay. So the, the lead actor, and I'm, I hope I pronounce his first yeah. name correctly, Cillian Murphy. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing how much he and Tyler Glass now, their faces are oh, like, I know. like, oh, yeah. it, it, and he you knows know, that. So you know, try Cillian to wipe that, that out of your mind as you watch this movie, Carl. <laughs> well, well, I know Cillian knows that. And we watched, you know, Cillian, just as a quick aside, for most of the, I'm sure people on the podcast know it, but, uh, you know, he was the star of Peaky Blinders. And, and he's very well aware because I saw an interview with him where somebody said, do you, you know, do you, do you follow baseball? Do you? And he said, well, I don't, but I know that guy and I don't throw the baseball like he does. He knew right away that the uh, interviewer was going with Tyler Glass now. It's the, it's the same guy, although Glassnow is about a foot and a half taller than, than Cillian is. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, Carl. Well, uh, have fun this weekend. Well-deserved because you. you have worked Thanks. your butt off uh, during the course of summer between College World Series, Little League World Series, travel to the West Coast and Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, hope you have a good time. Thanks, Buster. Enjoy the game. I'm the luckiest guy in, on the world when it comes to work. So thanks. Appreciate you, buddy. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing on this Friday? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm hanging in there, getting ready to go to San Francisco, see a little Rockies, see a little Giants, see if the Giants can hang in there in the the National League wildcard race. But before we get to that, uh, I know a team that you watch closely because Julio Rodriguez is one of the players you love to watch. Uh, they're having this big series against the Tampa Bay Rays. What are you seeing in the Mariners right now as we come down the stretch? I mean, you know, August was absolutely Julio's month, and he's been really, really good in August, obviously, and since. But I think we need to talk a little bit about Teoscar Hernandez, who has also been really, really good for them on a long-hitting streak now, I believe, up to 16 games, perhaps. So kind of spanning the end of August and then now into September. But the question for them has been their bullpen. We saw it struggle during that series with the Reds earlier this week. But yesterday, that one nothing win, the bullpen was perfect. So there's certainly a team that I think is going to be really dangerous. We saw how good Luis Castillo was last night, and it's been all year. And that pitching overall has been so, so good. The starting pitching. So I think hopefully in October, that will be enough for them to figure out how that ball of hand goes together. Yeah, I think Luis Castillo showed yesterday in those six strong innings against Tampa Bay. Reminds everybody in a postseason game, like he's a guy. Like he, he absolutely feels like he's one of those guys who could who could lead his staff. Um, before we get to the numbers game, just a quick question that I asked Carl before. In the world, do the San Diego Padres, are they not in playoff position when they lead the National League in team pitching uh, uh, ERA, Sarah? Like that... That does not compute for me. 
You know, it is just the weirdest season we've seen. I mean, I know they had the expectations very similar to the Mets, and I know that they've been disappointing from that standpoint. But even if you look statistically, as you're saying, there's so many aspects that have been really good, and so many that have been so puzzling. The fact that they are on pace out one of the worst records ever in one-run games, which, of course, gets to the pitching, right? How do you have any notable record in one-run games? Play a lot of them. Have good pitching certainly helps. And, of course, they haven't won the uh, extra inning game in, which feels like it should just be fluky, but they're one away from tying the record to that for uh, most extra inning losses. Most losses in extras to begin the season. So there's something with these close games that just hasn't gone right. But whatever it is, I really hope that uh, next year is better for them. Right. Let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is five. So the Astros had quite the series earlier this week against the Rangers. And during that series, they had five or more home runs in three straight games. That's tied for the longest such streak in MLB history with the 2020 Yankees, 2019 Yankees, and 1977 Red Sox. And that streak is selective, so they could set a record tonight, theoretically. And either way, it was quite the onslaught. They had 16 home runs uh, over those three games which was tied with the 2019 Nationals, 2019 Yankees, and those 77 Red Sox was second most in the three-game span, behind only the 2020 Yankees, who had 19 over that three-game stretch. However, you slice it, a ton of home runs, and really felt like the Astros sort of, I know that they haven't been exactly who we've come to expect of them the entire season, but that series, that was the Astros we have come to expect. Number two. Number two is 105.7. So we have the Rockies and the Giants on Sunday baseball this weekend, as you mentioned. And Brenton Doyle, the center fielder for the Rockies, is someone I really want people to pay attention to. And I know people may not be super aware of him. That's why we're talking about 105.7. So he made a throw to hold a runner in the ninth inning on Saturday, last Saturday. That was the fastest track throw by any outfielder under Sagcast, which goes back to 2015. The prior record had been set in April of 2016 by Aaron Hicks at 105.5. So that stood for a really long time. And then he uncorked 105.7. He also has six assists at least 98 miles an hour this season, which is two more than anyone else has had in a single season under Sackass. So that arm has been really, really fun to watch. The Rockies have certainly prevented some runs. Thanks, Sam. Number one. Number one is two for the two home runs that Ronald Acuna Jr. hit last night. You talk about teams that 
I've had some bullpen issues or some pitching issues of late, like I was noting with the bullpen Mariners earlier. And the Braves pitching really didn't hold up during this series against the Cardinals, whether it's, you know, kind of doldrums of September or issues they've had in personal bullpen all year. We saw some of that. But yesterday, what a game for Juan Acuna Jr. Leads off the game with a 115.3 mile an hour, 16 degree screaming line drive home run. And then he hits another later in the game. So he has 12 per multi homer games out of the layoff spot. There's two more than anyone else in baseball history before turning 26. The anyone else on that list is Mookie Betts with 10, which is notable because Mookie is the all-time leader in games with two home runs at layoff spot with 26 of those himself. We know that that's obviously a record on the Junior Jr. will set if he uh, chooses to and continues to play the way he is playing, but really felt like, especially on his second home run, I think there was some frustration from the Braves over the way they played in this series against the Cardinals here. In September, the Cardinals were not very good with this series to, you know, come out there and maybe sweep. They hadn't looked great. The way he celebrated on that second home run to me was just that reminder of we're the Braves and we've got this. This is what I do and this is what we do. I mentioned to Carl that, uh, you know, talking with the Braves players, they said that the one statistic that seems to be being talked about in the group is uh, Matt Olson getting to 50 home runs. Uh, which is going to be a big deal because it, it looks like Matt Olson has a real chance to to hit more homers than anybody else in baseball this year. You mentioned Brenton Doyle with that great arm. You know, part of the conversation, Sarah, that you were part of yesterday, uh, and I'm sure we'll be showing some highlights on Sunday night, uh, are, you know, the greatest throws that we've ever, ever seen. The best one I've ever seen in person was Vladimir Guerrero Sr. in uh, Shea Stadium against the Mets, where he threw the ball from a right field corner all the way to home plate. He threw out Todd Hunley, and it, it really was kind of a – I never forget after that game, there were a lot of things going on, but Bobby Valentine and some of the Mets were just like, oh, my God, did you see that throw? Like they were just astonished by this throw. In your mind, what's the greatest throw you've ever seen, whether you were there in person or not? Well, I was going to say in person, I'm not sure Tan really stand out to me. Maybe I put that on my list of things I really want to see in the game. One of these throws that just makes your jaw drop. But there are two things that I think of when you ask this. The first is those you want to assess best throws that he had in his time with the A's where he was out there buried in left field. He had that one specifically where he threw him. And everyone was so blown away. I want to say early in his career, we're still getting to know who he was and what he did as an outfielder. And then the other thing I'll say is my dad's hero was Roberto Clemente. So even yeah. if there isn't as much footage or as many uh, out there all the time on Twitter, those throws, everything he has sent me, just absolutely blown me away. And he had, I think, 255 assists, which is the second most by any National League right fielder. 
Uh, no, I'm sorry. The most by any National League right fielder and second most by any right fielder all time. And by the way, I was just looking at this yesterday. The most assists, again, this is just right field. But by any active right fielder is like 67, maybe. Like, players don't do this the way that he did that. So I'm certainly blown away by every video I've ever seen of him doing that. Uh, one of the clips from the 1971 World Series is Clemente going and fielding, a, a catching a fly ball along the right field line and then whirling and making a throw to third base. And the base runner going from second to third in that play for the Cincinnati Reds was Merv Rettman, who later was the hitting coach of the Padres when I covered that team. And Sarah, I asked him about that. What do you remember about that throw? And he said as he was going into third base, because he thought it was just an easy tag you know, tag up, go from second to third, no problem. And he could not believe it was going to be close. <laughs> and, and Merv was fast at that time. And he was like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, he was just shocked that Clemente, that it would even be close. You, you can go on YouTube if anyone wants to watch that. Merv tagging up and going from second to third and being stunned uh, that Clemente could make that play close. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world. Or you can go to his website, ToddRadom.com. Todd, how are you doing this week? I'm good, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. So I had this conversation with Carl Ravitch before about the surging Yankees 
You know, our friend Peter Gammons uh, tweeted out the other day that if the Yankees overcome the Red Sox, and they have the series coming up next week, that would mean the Red Sox would finish in last place in three of the last four seasons. In your mind, uh, does it matter whether or not you finish in fourth or fifth place in the American League East, especially when it, the team you're competing against are the Yankees? How big of a deal is that for you as a Red Sox fan? It's no big deal. Fourth place, fifth place. Does it matter? Shouldn't this be a team that competes for the, a postseason berth every single season, given their resources, given the ownership, given the expectations of the fan base? Fourth place, fifth place, it's going to be a long winter. It doesn't matter. And Buster, as you well know, this is a club that finished last a couple of times and then won the World Series the next year, which is not to say they're going to win the World Series next year, but it doesn't matter. And uh, are the Yankees going to go far in October? I'm thinking no, considering what we've seen all season. So no, 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 no. Hard no. Okay. Okay. I, I would have guessed it's the optics of it would rub you the wrong way. You know, I, I do think it's going to serve and it's going to, uh, whoever finishes in last place, it's going to, it's going to absolutely feed into the narrative that surrounds that respective team. Right. If it's the yeah, Yankees, I mean, the fan base will go, last place, what are we talking about? And if it's the Red Sox, it's going to be last place again. <laughs> well, the Red Sox had Bobby Valentine steering the ship toward a last place finish and, and uh, washing uh, uh, onto the shoals. Yankees fans probably for the most part, except for uh, a select few people who are your age, my age, and older, don't remember Stump Merrill or – the horrible years of the uh, very early 80s. So, you know, last place or not getting into the postseason, both of those are stunning things for Yankees fans. When was the last time the Yankees missed the postseason, Buster? It's a couple of years ago. But prior to then, 08, when they closed out Yankee Stadium, this is a team that's had, you know, so many consecutive years of having a winning record. Just not getting into the postseason is a big deal there. Whereas at Fenway, if you miss the postseason, well, you're going to finish last some years. Uh, it, it, you know, I don't think it matters. Okay. And for the record, Taylor, that's two Bobby Valentine mentions on this podcast. Two separate mentions, two separate contexts. All right. Uh, let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. So, Buster, the Cincinnati Reds have played ball, first played ball, excuse me, at the corner of Finlay Street and Western Avenue in 1884 on the site of what was previously an abandoned brickyard. On May 28, 1900, a fire tore through the club's ballpark. This was hastily replaced with a makeshift seating arrangement that later gave way to what was one of the most startling edifices ever to host a major league team. The Palace of the Fans hosted its first game on April 17, 1902 a neoclassical ballpark whose architecture was inspired by the 1893 World Columbian Exposition in Chicago. It featured a wildly extravagant grandstand, including 22 hand-carved Corinthian columns and a triangular pediment that read Cincinnati in all cap letters, engraved in large serif letter forms reminiscent of an imposing bank facade. The ballpark has been described as, quote, a Roman temple, constructed of wrought iron and concrete. It had 19 wide semicircular concrete opera boxes at field level, essentially luxury boxes or suites by today's standards. 
This arrangement included stalls that allowed fans to park their horse-drawn carriages or autos directly behind their seats. The boxes were located where dugouts would customarily have gone, which meant that players had to sit on park benches. Also at field level was a standing room area called Rooter's Row, and this was reserved for the Reds' most boisterous fans who could buy peanuts, hard-boiled eggs, cigars, and pickles, and where one could purchase 12 beers for $1. Okay, stop right there. Stop right there. This is right now, Taylor, this is your favorite ballpark ever. 12 beers for $1. Taylor, you there? He must be doing something else. Anyway, go ahead. He, he's imagining 12 beers for a dollar. He's imag- He's passed out thinking about 12 beers for $1, <laughs> let alone drinking them. Yes. All right. Proximity to the players. Fueled by all that cheap liquor meant that opposing players and umpires were subjected to a constant barrage of verbal abuse, clearly heard from the other side of the chicken wire. The ballpark lasted only 10 years. It was small featuring only 6,000 fixed seats, and despite its ornate decoration, it was fast becoming obsolete at a time when truly modern stadiums in Philadelphia, Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Boston were coming online. Within a few years of its construction, the palace of the fans began to deteriorate, Buster, plagued by cracked girders and unsafe support beams. Finally, a fire finished it all off. It was replaced on the same site, by Redland Field, which was later known as Crossley Field, and this served as the club's home until 1970, when Riverfront Stadium opened up. Cincinnati gave birth to professional baseball in 1869, and for a decade, the Reds held forth in a palace, the Palace of the Fans, which is this week's Forgotten Field. Wow. That, I have never read about that park, uh, Todd. I, I just, that, that, uh, astonishing! You talk. <laughs> it's get, not the it twelve beers like for a dollar part, but the architecture, Buster. It was really quite something from uh, all appearances. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, before we get to, with the quiz, Ted, I don't know if you're back online with us now, or if you've recovered from that thought of twelve beers for one dollar. Uh, what was your reaction to that? I mean, what a deal! <laughs> what an absolute steal! <laughs> they didn't if say what beat. size they were. Taylor. It doesn't matter. You know, six, 12 six ounces will do the job. You know, <laughs> 12 now beers like uh, in a ballpark today would you, you would have to, uh, it would be like a mortgage payment. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right. Let's get to this week's quiz. All right. I need to note that this is a, um, a pennant race on par with the, the AL West over here because Buster nice. is, Buster is leading with nine. Uh, Sarah with eight I'm kind of Taylor. the Texas Rangers in this mix to draw at your comparison. It feels like I don't know. we'll find out it's a week by week thing, but it's nine for Buster eight for Sarah seven for Taylor. So it's a, a jump Ooh. ball to use another metaphor from another sport. So right. I'm excited. And, uh, this is probably the best the pennant race that we have had here in the history of the quiz. So without further ado, let's get to week number 26. We are going to take another baseball road trip. Remember that from a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. Which one of these journeys is the shortest in terms of miles driven? Is it A, Rogers Center in Toronto to Comerica Park in Detroit? Is it B, Progressive Field in Cleveland to the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati? Is it C, Bush Stadium in St. Louis to Kaufman Stadium in KC? Or is it D, 
Tropicana Field in Tampa Bay to Lone Depot Park in Miami. The shortest, Toronto to Detroit, Cleveland to Cincinnati, St. Louis to Kansas City, or Tampa Bay to Miami. All right. I will go first. I'm going to say A, Detroit, Toronto. Sarah, you want to go since you're in second place? Uh, I was also going to say A, but now I'm going to say C. Taylor? Uh, I wanted to say I'm going to go A as well. Well, Taylor and Buster are correct because Rogers Center in Toronto to Comerica Park in Detroit, 230 miles. Sarah, you were... You are close. I mean, they're all close. 241 miles. Wow. From St. Louis to Kansas City. Tampa to Miami, 265. And just for the record, Progressive Field to Great American Ballpark, 248 miles road trip. So, nice. So I think my magic number is down to like five now. And and Sarah, <laughs> wow, you back, uh, you're now two, uh, two victories behind. You're tied with Taylor. Oh. We've got like seven weeks left, maybe. Something like that. At yeah, most? so my magic number would be, what, six or seven at that point, yeah. Are you so, printing playoff tickets, Buster? Closing in. Do that? <laughs> he's, he sent the email out that's like, you know, reserve your season tickets. If we make it the playoffs, you get first crack. It's not like a full sell, but he's he's almost there. you got to put a deposit down. <laughs> yes, the p- deposit definitely has to go down before you can even sniff those tickets. And it may Man. not be refundable or 12 oh, beers no for a dollar. I'm not sure yeah. which. <laughs> All right, Todd. Thanks for doing this. All right, guys. Thanks. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. And we have to lead off with Sarah Abbott here, who was away for a week, um, presumably on vacation. But it sounds like things took a little bit of a turn. It's that you're, you know, you're a positive gal. And it seems like you did have fun. But, uh, you know, there were some some bumps on the trip. So could you fill us in? You tease it on Wednesday. Yes. So as I mentioned, I was pickpocketed in St. Petersburg, which didn't know that that could possibly happen to me. I thought this was America. Uh, Yeah. They stole my phone and wallet, which was super nice of them. Um, Really glad that they did that. And then went to Disney, found out at Disney our flights were canceled because there's a lovely hurricane. And we spent the whole day watching movies after that, uh, boarded up the house. And yeah, it was a a great eventful trip. It will be a vacation that you'll never forget, Sarah. Tell me, how did did you get pickpocketed? That's a really great question. So I had (laughs) a little purse that was attached to my hip the whole time. And I guess somehow someone unzipped it and took out my phone and wallet. Which, man, I have to give them props. Like, for me to not notice that, they're pretty gifted at their craft. So, shout out to them. I hope they're having a really great day. I really do. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry that you went through that. Uh, Was the hurricane scary? Oh, not for us. Like, where we were at, it was honestly just like a thunderstorm. But we had a really great day of watching movies. We decided our genre for the day was family fun hurricane theme. So we watched Aquamarine and then my mom decided we should watch Cocaine Bear as a family with Grammy. So that was really fun. (laughs) What was her reaction to Cocaine Bear, your grandmother? 
Honestly, she was laughing. Grammy like had a good sense of humor about it. My mom was like, I had no idea this movie was going to be like this, which I don't know exactly what she was expecting from Cocaine Bear, but um, <laughs> <laughs> let the record show it was my mom's idea. Sounds like a good time. Good time had by all, except maybe your mom while watching Cocaine Bear. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, how you how yeah. you doing now, Sarah? Have, have you recollected your identity at all? Have you are you trying to shake off the trip? Um, I did cancel all my credit cards, so that was no biggie. Ugh. And then I was the gifted worst. with a lovely sinus infection upon arrival back to my apartment. So the trifecta, no. Best. I think the travel gods are telling you you need to take another trip to wipe that one out of your memory. Yeah. You know what? I think so, too. I think my vacation date shouldn't count. I should contact someone at Disney and say, I need those back. And if, in fact, we get Phillies and Cubs in the first round of the playoffs in Philadelphia, I think we need to make a trip there for that. <gasps> yes, definitely. Lifelong Phillies fan as of one year ago. Coming up on the one-year anniversary. I know, big day for us. Big day for me and the Phillies. <laughs> well, speaking this, of the Phillies, great segue because we got a question here from PK Steinberg. He writes in, What do you think will happen with Reese Hoskins, first base, and the Phillies? What are they going to do next year? Does Harper's uh, play encourage the team not to re sign Hoskins? So my guess, and this is all speculation at this point, uh, first off, obviously for Reese Hoskins, uh, you know, who's a free agent after this year, missing the whole season, not exactly the perfect way to go into free agency. It's probably going to be good for him to go on a, to sign a one-year deal for next year, which makes it more likely that he would return to the Phillies. Um, you know, I, my guess is, is that Bryce Harper returns to the outfield. He's had you know more time to work on his throwing they put Kyle Schwarber at DH because Kyle Schwarber's defense, you know, according to metrics, going way down, and they re-sign Reese Hoskins. That that if Reese Hoskins, uh, you know, was in a position to get a multi-year deal, I think he would be gone. But given the fact he's going to need a one-year deal to reestablish his value, I think it makes it more likely he goes back to the Phillies. Does that make sense, Taylor? Yeah, absolutely. Love when you put your GM cap on like that. Thank you. Let's go to, we got this one in this morning, Nathan Vest. He writes in Buster and others have mentioned uh, Yanier, Yanier, I don't, I'm sorry, uh, Diaz in the mix for the rookie of the year, but he and Chaz McCormick still get inconsistent playing time, both despite both having two of the best OPSs on the team and are on pace for 30 plus home runs. If playing a full season, what are your thoughts on Dusty's logic behind uh, not playing these guys as much as, as Nathan thinks he, they should? Yeah. And Dusty's getting some scrutiny in Houston for not playing them on a daily basis um, I, you know, I, I, you know, with, which with the McCormick, for example, last weekend, he pinch hit John Singleton for him in a big spot and people wondering why that was because McCormick's had really good production. Uh, Dusty mentioned to reporters, I think it was yesterday or the day before he said, he's not one of the big guys, uh, yet the Chaz McCormick still has something to prove in Diaz's case. I want to just say flat out, like I've watched games. I think Diaz is a terrific talent. You know, I talked to him after the game last Saturday, he seems like someone who's got a bright future in baseball. I will say when I watch games, I see moments when I'm like, boy, if Maldonado was catching, it would be different because he's so much better at framing. Uh, and I also think that he's really good at ushering pitchers through, you know, tough moments. That takes time. And so I actually think that Diaz, a great future, a great mentor, and I can also understand why in big games, 
Dusty would want Maldonado behind the plate, behind the, uh, you know, rather than the guy who clearly is a better offensive player in Diaz. I get it. Next up, JB Dominguez. He writes in, how cool is it we may get three teams from the NL Central in the playoffs? I bet no one had that in their preseason predictions. Got to root for something since my Rangers are disappointing me. But I don't know that I would uh, I'd count those chickens quite yet because the Reds... Uh, they are a half game back from that last spot, as are the Marlins and the Diamondbacks occupy that last wild card spot. Which of those three teams do you think is going to sneak in there? Assuming the Cubs and the Phillies make it. Yeah, and I and I'm to, to the larger point. I, I completely agree. It's a complete shock. <laughs> yeah, that any that the National League Central would have that many teams. You know, at the beginning of the year it felt like okay, and there's going to be probably two teams. We figured the Mets would be in the playoffs, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and that uh, the National League Central will be lucky to get one. <laughs> but the Cubs are a lot better than what we thought. The Reds are a lot better than what we thought. And uh, you know what? The Brewers are better than what I thought they were going to be. So I mm-hmm. think the, the larger point, I agree, uh, in terms of who's going to make the playoffs. Uh, you know, I go back and forth. The Diamondbacks, you know, it's had some pitching injuries down the stretch here. They just called up this young shortstop who made a terrific play yesterday. I think I'm going to go with the Reds to make the playoffs in the end. Ooh, I like it. Spicy. So I do think they're going to be three teams out of the Central, which would be a stunner. Yeah, for sure. All right, last one for today. Steven Shulman at Pro Bono Dude writes in, 45 years on, 1,750 miles southwest, history repeated itself. The Boston Massacre echoes in the Alamo onslaught by the Astros against the Rangers. If history continues to repeat, though, the Rangers will, the Rangers will rise from this this guy steven taking it hard the rangers collapse here and it is a collapse mm-hmm. and i don't see how it's going to reverse I, I feel like a captain obvious you're like boy it's not looking good for a team that's losing every game and getting destroyed yeah you know allowing 50 run in three games uh i just don't know what's going to turn around and what's kind of a bummer taylor is that you know the, the rangers have 76 wins if they didn't win another game they, they would make like a double digit improvement over last year and yet it feels like that uh If they don't make the playoffs, it's going to be looked at as a disappointment. Oh, yeah. Huge disappointment. I mean, for a long time, I mean, they felt like the most fun team to watch in baseball, you know, maybe right behind the Braves. So, I mean, to to really spiral downward like this is is a huge bummer. It's a a complete and utter shock. And think about, yeah, last year, the Texas Rangers won. I'm looking this up now. Last year, they were 60 and 102. So they've already had a 16 game improvement. Huge. Over last year. Excuse me. They were 68-94. So they've had an eight-game improvement over 2022. Um, let's say they finished with 80, you know, 85 wins. That would be an improvement of almost 20 wins. And yet it's just it's just not going to look the same after the way this year played out. Kind of a bummer. Mm. All right. Hang in there, Steven. Hang in there, everyone. Hashtag bleacher tweets over the weekend while you're watching games and you're not watching football. I'm not watching football. No way, Buster. I would never betray the podcast like that. Oh, well, I appreciate that. (laughs) That's it for today. Uh, That's it for this week. My thanks to Carl, Sarah, Todd, Bruce, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.